flows just right if you're on vacation, a treadmill, or describing QuickBooks. It should be more like slow books. Those difficult integrations, manual processes, and glitchy delays that leave you scrambling for the numbers you need. Now is the time to switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system. Oracle NetSuite gives you everything you need and more. You can have full visibility and control to your finances, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and so much more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. And the best news for you right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. You can head to netsuite.com forward slash scale right now to get that special financing. That is netsuite.com slash scale. That is netsuite.com slash scale. Let them know that Poya from Uncharted Podcast sent you. That is netsuite.com slash scale. Welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. We've got a really exciting guest joining us today. Uh, Jero Wade, welcome to the show. Joining us from Phoenix, the chief chief growth officer over there. Uh, Jero, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk. Yeah, totally. Um, we always like to start with kind of the, the origin story of you. So tell us a bit about like where you're from. What was it like where you grew up? Maybe a bit about like what your parents did and, and if you had any yeah. siblings. Sure. I love the framing of origin story. I was a big comic book nerd when I was growing up. So uh, it's very, very apropos for me. Um, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, which is about 45 minutes north of the Mexico border. Um, grew up in a pretty big family. I'm one of five kids. Uh, my parents were both in the Midwest, but through random kind of happenstance, ended up in Tucson, Arizona, which was this in the 70s, this nice little desert artistic hippie town. Um, so they were both pretty counterculture. Um, and yeah, we, we had a nice upbringing, lots of family, cousins, uncles, aunts, all that stuff. Um, but also kind of low income, uh, or as my mom has like to say, impoverished background when I talked to her about it. Um, but I think that was a big kind of part of my later life. I didn't really know that at the time growing up. Um, I just knew we had a bunch of siblings, a bunch of friends, um, and my dad was a musician, so we got to hear his band play. Uh, my mom was a seamstress, so she would uh, bring home reams and reams of fabric and have us actually earn a penny per pocket square that we could mark up. So there was a bunch of fun stuff like that. The, the earliest part of my life, I just remember being happy kid who go in the backyard, play, go hiking with my uncle, play soccer, stuff like that. Tell me about the dynamic in the house with, I think you'd mentioned um, your dad was a musician, your mom, um, yeah. seamstress. Um, that's a lot of creative energy, let's call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got, you've got that dynamic plus the dynamic of like five siblings. Like what was it like in the house? Like growing up? Funny thing is I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. I am the square who went and got an engineering degree in college, but my sister, I have a twin sister. She is hands down the most creative person I've ever met in my life. Like, I think she is, can do magic. Like she can just create stuff out of thin air and it's impossible for me. My mom is a seamstress, actually sang opera for a little bit. My dad is a musician. He's a drummer. He ran a sound production company. My brother is a graffiti artist, on and on and on. Um, and I, like I said, was the the nerdy one who would just read a lot, uh, go to the library. Um, and I couldn't check out reference books on mythology. So I'd actually like, instead of hanging out with some friends, I'd bike down to the library and just like spend an afternoon reading mythology books and books about the solar system. Um, but that was also one of the kind of hacks my mom figured out trying to raise five kids in the Arizona summer heat. 
uh, without spending a lot of money is just take them to the library. So that's actually what got me into a lot of the reading. Uh, my dad also dabbled as a writer. Um, and so there were bookshelves uh, full of, of poetry and history. We had a big map on the wall. Um, there's a lot of just fun stuff like that. Um, the, the flip side of this is my parents worked incredibly, incredibly hard um, to the point where I think about back about it now and I don't understand how they did it. My dad, I wouldn't see sometimes for three, four days in a row. He was a bartender and then he worked three or four other jobs uh, as a janitor, as a waiter for a catering company, uh, as a musician and as a sound production company. And then my mom, she went back to college when I was 14. Uh, so she was a freshman in college while I was a freshman in high school. Um, she was taking calculus with, you know, kids half her age. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I, I think about the fun times with the siblings and like library trips and trips to the pool. But then I also just think about um, in a new way now that I'm a parent of a three-year-old daughter, I just think about how much my parents committed to raising us well and sacrifice. And it's, uh, it's, it's honestly un, unfathomable to me just how much they, they sacrifice and put out there for us. Your story resonated in a lot of ways uh, to mine. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm an immigrant, moved here at a very young age from Iran. Um, and I moved to Orange County, where I would say I lived in a very affluent area. Uh, lots of my friends were fortunate to have the support of their parents. And at the time, I didn't realize I actually hated it, where I was the kid that had to negotiate the phone bill or had mm -hmm. to go to the doctor's appointment with my mm -hmm. dad and translate, right? Um, like at 16, I had to start paying for everything, including my own like prom ticket, right? Uh, which nobody in my at least group of friends had to like go through those things. So yeah. the, the million dollar question I, I have for you is when I look back, um, I hated those moments, but now I have so much gratitude because I think in some ways they've made me really strong. And I think you had a tweet, um, that went viral that you were like at the age of 13 or 14, you were planning your parents' retirement. Right. And yeah. I've kind of had to do that as well. Um, just because frankly, my parents don't even think about retirement. Right. So yeah. I, I, so give us a little bit of context, because I'm curious, like, at least from your story, why you've had to kind of think of that framework. Um, but mm. more importantly, I'm curious, like, how has that experience shaped you as who you are as a person? What are some of the good, some of the bad? First of all, I appreciate you sharing. I'm, I'm not a child of immigrants, but I grew up with, with a lot. Um, me being so close to, to Mexico, I had a lot of friends in high school, and middle school who had the same exact situation. They were the front line to customer service, to doctors, to bill collectors, et cetera. Um, and it seemed incredibly stressful for a 11, 12 year old kid to do that. So prop, props to you. Um, my situation was a little bit different. You, you actually said something else that struck me, which is I'm a pretty uh, easygoing guy, I think. Um, but the more and more I reflect on it, I was really upset. Like I was angry growing up about um, my family's financial situation. And so a couple of things happened that kind of come to mind when you, when you talked about that and asked about that, which is... Um, there was this one time in high school where some kids from a, came from a basketball game from another high school, and it was the more affluent um, high school, uh, which is actually the school district my mom teaches in now that she's a school teacher. But um, they said something along the lines of like, you know, as kind of talking trash, like, oh, do we, we smell poor people? And I was convinced at the time that I was going to be more successful than this kid, um, that I was going to make more money than this kid. I was, you know, angry at him for resting on his parents' accomplishments and his parents' money for his comments and looking down on us. Um, and you know, I'm actually getting emotional talking about this. Like these are the, these are the, these are the people that I knew. I'd grown up with them. 
since elementary school in some cases. Um, and, uh, but I also, as I become a bit more reflective as an adult, I realized one of the reasons that that left me with so much resentment is because I actually wanted to leave my high school at one point. So another kind of um, experience where I had a lot of resentment and anger about not having money growing up because I felt like it constrained um, uh, my opportunities is, you know, I was going to this high school. It was kind of a faded glory high school, I call it. It was a blue ribbon school in the 80s and had kind of declined since then. Um, you know, crazy ratio in terms of students and, and teachers and uh, drugs and violence and weapons on campus, all that kind of stuff you, you, um, you might see. Uh, and so I had a school, a private Catholic school near my house, actually walking distance. And I had a lot of friends from soccer who went there. Actually, one friend who went to a similar high school with myself, he got recruited there to go play soccer. So I walked into the admissions office one day and asked for an application. And as I was walking back to my parents' house, uh, my house at the time, I, I, I like was paging through the application and saw the, the tuition price tag and just folded it up, put it in my back and never, never spoke about it again, never brought it with my parents. Um, I just continued going to my high school. And this is a bit of a long answer, but there's really amazing thing happened next, which is um, some teachers at my high school essentially staged an intervention for me. Um, I needed to work again. It goes back to money, right? I needed to work because my mom was in school. We were living off my dad's bartender um, earnings. And I was in high school. I wanted to go out. I wanted to see me go, go to dinner with friends and start dating and all that stuff. So I was working at a Dairy Queen with my sister. And I switched out of the um, honors track, which had AP courses and uh, was more rigorous. Uh, but it was also the main path to get into kind of the best schools. And so I switched out of that so I could have more time to work. And a group of principals, the principal, uh, counselor, and two teachers basically brought me into the principal's office and were like, you have to be in the honors track. What is keeping you from there? Like, do you think you can't do it? You absolutely can. Um, and so I switched back, actually quit my job and uh, just kind of took a vow of poverty again in high school, right as I wanted money. Um, but thinking back on it, that is like, that's crazy that that happened. Like absolutely did not have to happen um, that these people were looking out for me and took the time to stage that sort of intervention. So um, in terms of kind of to your question about like how this has shaped me, I'm just, I'm filled with an overwhelming sense of uh, gratitude and, and luck. Um, especially as I, again, think about my, my daughter and the opportunities that she's going to have. Um, but those, those, that type of intervention and something else that happened to me later in high school, uh, those absolutely changed my life. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I think I've, I've worked hard. I think I've made good choices for the most part, but um, I think about myself versus people I grew up with, um, even people in my own family. And like, that's the type of thing that was an inflection point that happened to me um, that didn't happen to other people. And that kind of made all the difference. So I, I try to carry that with me as a sense of gratitude and also more and more reflect on, um, paying things forward personally and through my work about how I can, um, you know, with, with payments infrastructure, I don't think we're making a ton of folks rich all the time, but I do think we can materially improve people's floor. Like if you get money one day, uh, when you didn't think you were going to, um, and you eat that day, that's a big deal. If you, save 30 basis points on every transaction as a solo entrepreneur, maybe you save up enough money to start having that compound in meaningful ways. Um, so I think that's the type of stuff that I think about uh, as I spent about 10 years in kind of the payments world uh, where, where I hope that my, my work can be as impactful on other folks. And then personally, I try to do things here and there um, and hopefully in more structural ways as well to help raise other people's floor and, and kind of create that type of 
intervention that I got. Thank you for just the uh, openness and the um, uh, sort of vulnerability around like the the origin story, right, so to speak. And I, to what extent, I always wonder this with people that um, started in a position, um, well, basically are, are successful and sort of like their journey along the way. How much when you look back on it, Drew, are like, was that a what you might call like a chip on your shoulder? Oh, huge, you've got a, huge. It yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, sorry, I, you, 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 you piqued me, obviously. Um, yeah, and then this is why I was a- answering the last question with like, I don't think of myself as like an angry person, but I was, I was mad. Like I really grew up angry uh, about that. Um, and obviously like had fun and, and, and focus on opportunities, but um, the chip on the shoulder, I think is, is also double-sided. Like that's another thing I've been reflecting on is that chip on my shoulder has often robbed me from certain opportunities as well. Um, especially when I push myself past the point of breaking and, and this is actually, Robbie, to your point about like, I do think I'm in a very different situation than I was when I was 18. Like my floor is financially, reputationally, like much, much higher um, than it was, you know, half a lifetime ago for me. And as a result, I can afford to invest in more self-care, um, more rest, maybe not pushing myself uh, to the, the brink of burnout. Um, but I think back to kind of the, some of the stakes when I was in high school. And, and I imagine some of those were in my head. I don't think um, things were as dangerous or as uh, risky as maybe I thought they were, but in some ways they very much were and probably were worse than I thought they were. So I mean, now I can, I can invest in that self-care, but at the time I kind of pushed myself through because I needed, or I, I felt like I needed to get out of certain situations I was in, provide that kind of raised floor for myself. Um, and the chip on the shoulder is, does wonders to fuel that. Um, but then I kind of flipped into the situation where I was in my mid twenties and I was using that same toolbox and, and toolkit and it, it wasn't what I needed at the time. Um, I could afford to take time off. I could afford to address certain you new know, traumas from my childhood. Uh, I could afford to address some of that resentment and anger that I had. So, um, yeah, it's, it's this concept of floors versus ceilings has been there for me a lot. And I think you kind of, you need a certain amount of fuel that's just fire in the belly to push push things up um, to get to that raised floor and, and take some of that risk out of your life. And, and the chip on the shoulder does that. But as soon as you have that, I think switching to a position where you can invest in yourself, that's what opens up that ceiling. I know I've been restricted in my life when I haven't taken care of myself properly. Yeah, that's well said. I, you know, I think the self-care piece of it is, it's just interesting hearing how you took, um, this dynamic of like a clear chip on the shoulder that was, um, you know, a clear motivator and mm-hmm. you know, part of part of the journey and success that you've gone. But now reflecting back on it, um, it's not always necessarily a positive thing unless, you know, you're sort of like managing that chip on your shoulder and like uh, managing yourself along the way. That's really interesting. I really yeah. like this concept we're talking about of floors and ceilings. I think, um, you know, you, you kind of talked about that intervention moment with the folks at your high school as being sort of like a moment in time that was that raised sort of like the floor for you mm-hmm. and like almost mm-hmm. like protected the downside to some extent that you were blind to. Looking between, so you go to um, Penn, I believe, and you study, um, you're studying in college um, uh, engineering, engineering, yeah, electrical engineering. And I'm going to skip 
a very large percentage of the journey. And now you're a chief growth officer um, at Phoenix. And looking back on like the career journey, so like post-college mm-hmm. to like where you are today, what's like when you think about like what is the singular sort of like journey you went on, whether that was like a stop in your career or even just like a conversation you had that stands out as like another like material floor raiser in your life that kind of happened between now and then, maybe in a similar way to uh, what happened to you in high school? Because you've had some really interesting stops as a founder, as an operator, like along yeah. the way. What do you think huh. is like, for you raise the floor the most between now and today the track i did so i went um college and then I actually went to ghana i went to west africa to help start a technology entrepreneurship school um in 2009 and that was also a very random thing um and and kind of in some ways took me away from uh the more traditional path uh, and some of the paths i've been on but one thing i learned there is that i very much wanted to um learn how to do entrepreneurship because that's what I was teaching when I was in Ghana. And I felt like I didn't have an understanding of, of that world very well. And so I had the express goal when I came back to the States of getting into an early stage startup company um, so that I could teach that later. And so when something happened around that time, I was back in Tucson. Um, this was, I guess, beginning of 2009. And my uh, a college uh, classmate, I guess he was a year below me in college, but he worked at, um, uh, he was the CEO of a company called Milo and I had stayed in touch with him after college. And actually he had beamed into one of my classes in Ghana, uh, as like a entrepreneur that our students could talk to. And so when I got back to the States, I was just, you know, hustling, trying to get a job. I was actually asking him about a position at his dad's company, but then he offered me a spot as the first employee of, um, of his company, Milo. And that was another inflection point for me. And I remember I was at this place called Sabino Canyon in Tucson. It's this beautiful canyon in the foothills of, of Tucson. Um, and I was going for a run and I got a call from him. I picked it up right before my run and he offered me this position. And I remember just like walking around the desert for like the next hour, uh, like beaming and like celebrating silently in my head. Um, and then two weeks later, I moved out to Palo Alto and then I spent the next 10 years there uh, as an early stage employee, as a founder. Uh, working at larger tech companies like Pinterest. Um, so I think that was a big inflection point for me to get me to the Bay Area and get me in an early stage company. Um, also, uh, my former co-founder, Mateen Tamizi, uh, co-founder of Balanced, uh, he he brought me into that company and that's set up you know, the majority of my career and one of my kind of proudest moments in my career uh, directly led me to where I'm at now with Phoenix. So uh, there's been there's been a few of those, but I would say those are the two that stand out to me. We'll be right back after a quick advertisement. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $75,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses like you. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day, all for just $99 a month. That's month to month, no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go to Bambi.com scale right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash scale. Spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash scale. 
founder's perspective, how do you think that's helped you in your non-founder opportunities? Because you are correct. You have a very unique and diverse background in terms of just the companies you've worked at, right? Mm-hmm. Some really big brands like Pinterest, but also like super early stage companies. There's the obvious of like same industry, right? It's kind of helped you get this job. But I'm just curious, taking a step back, like just from a mindset perspective or other things, like how has being a founder helped uh, when you went back to a non-founder role? So I'll be honest, it was hard for me. Um, so when when Balance uh, closed down, um, we we exited to Stripe, transferred our customers, and we all kind of went our own separate ways. Um, and I had a really hard time with that, actually. Uh, so I know that's not the question you asked, but I thought I'd share. Um, uh, because I had so much of my identity tied up. And this is kind of a chip on the shoulder thing. I was very, very interested in never having a moment like I had in high school where someone looked down on me because of status or, or class or race. Um, and one of the ways I, I felt that I could do that was by being a successful founder. And so when I felt like that wasn't the story that I was writing, I internalized that very, very negatively. And I remember this one episode, I was in a like an Uber car pool and I like introduced myself as like, I'm Jero, like, I am unvol like volunteer. Like I used to run a company called Balance, and I was just like, no, like I don't need to say that. Uh, but it was very clearly me wanting to communicate uh, this identity and this status. Um, so, so I, I start with that. But then the other thing, more to the point of your question, is um, I have found it in some ways difficult to fit into uh, some of the boxes that larger companies need folks to fill. Um, but that's also been a benefit. So I'll share one example. Um, I have interviewed and been rejected, uh, from Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and I'm sure a few others in my career. Um, but when I got my role at Pinterest, I was on the team to do BD and it actually was very useful that I had an engineering background because one thing that happened early, early on is I was on the, uh, e-commerce platforms. I was handling merchant and platform relationships and to take some of those merchants and get them set up on those platforms. There was some engineering work that needed to be done. And we had just had someone leave who was doing those integration engineering uh, tasks. And so I had these customers I was accountable to that needed to go live. And so I just started doing some of the engineering work myself. And so I say that's one of the benefits is I was used to um, the kind of founder mindset, which I'd just previously done with Balanced. And whatever needs to be done, needs to be done. Use whatever skill set you have. And in fact, the ability to see both the business side and relationships, as well as the technical side, was an asset. I think sometimes this makes me um, hard to manage or hard to uh, hire, um, but I think it is a is a real benefit once I'm in in the seat where I can kind of see across different silos and walls. So the other thing is at Pinterest, if you give me uh, some specs or documentation and you gave me a contract, I can figure out in a day whether this is a deal that was worth pursuing or not. Versus having to go back and forth with legal, back and forth with business, back and forth with engineering and product. Um, so I would say that type of um, seeing, seeing across boundaries is something that I do in my personal life. Um, given my background, where I grew up, um, my family structure, all that stuff. And then also my professional life working between engineering and business. Drew, this has been insanely fun and jam packed with value. Um, I'm like uh, trying to digest kind of everything in real time, but we, um, 
you know, we always like to kind of finish with, with one last question. I'm very interested to ask you this one because of how much reflection you've just done through the answers you've given us about mm-hmm. where you came from and where you grew up. And the question is, if you were to go back in time, maybe pay a visit to yourself at the Tucson Library, it's 115 out, and you go into this sort of, you know, mythology section, <laughs> yeah, you're digging yeah. around on books. What's one, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself kind of looking back on the journey from where you sit today? I can't say, I can't say I would go back and tell myself like, Hey, you know, give yourself a break. Cause I actually think I needed that fuel, uh, to kind of get that floor, uh, pushed up and, and have those inflection points. But as soon as that was done, I would say that the, the number one advice I have for myself today, and I would have for my myself back, back then would be like above all else, take care of your mental, physical health and invest in relationships. Like literally everything else. Once you have that floor financially, um, and, and kind of safety wise, once you have that floor secured, your, your upper bound, at least I found for myself is only limited by kind of slaying those demons and addressing those issues. Um, this is a process I'm working through now and I probably will, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, but I think it's, it's something that as I reflect back on the last 10 years of my career and my life, I wish I'd done this, you know, 18 years ago, 20 years ago, I think it would have, um, once I got out of that position, I think this would have unlocked so much more. I, I feel like there's certain times in my life when I've been somewhat idle because I've been, you know, stricken with anxiety or, or grief or, or things like that. So um, I just think it's incredibly expensive how this stuff compounds. And so investing that as early as possible and meaningfully is, is the most important advice I would give. That's awesome. Um well, thanks for thanks for a great episode. I want to give a shout out to Shannon Goggin, um, former guest oh, yeah. friend, CEO yeah. of Noyo for the intro. Shannon's one of our Absolutely. favorites. And um, so I, what we'll do is we'll put uh, your contact info as far as like LinkedIn, Twitter in the show notes for folks that like want to connect and follow the journey. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again for for coming on here and being vulnerable and sharing your story. It was it was super fun. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Flow is just right if you're on vacation, a treadmill, or describing QuickBooks. It should be more like Slowbooks. Those difficult integrations, manual processes, and glitchy delays that leave you scrambling for the numbers you need. Now is the time to switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system. Oracle NetSuite gives you everything you need and more. You can have full visibility and control to your finances, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and so much more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. And the best news for you right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. You can head to netsuite.com forward slash scale right now to get that special financing. That is netsuite.com slash scale. That is netsuite.com slash scale. Let them know that Poya from Uncharted Podcast sent you. That is netsuite.com slash scale.